Amen. You may be sitting, man, it is so good. Well, how about a, just a thank you to this worship band. That song just blew me away. I am going to talk about that song a little bit later in the message as well, too, because that we are so blessed here at Mosaic. I don't know if I'm sure you realize it, right? But I, wow, just what I needed to see and hear today. That was so encouraging. And uh, uh, good morning. It was such a good morning. And then, no, <laughs> I know that you didn't mean that, right? No, I feel better now. Good morning. Yeah, so thank you guys for being here. It's so good to be here. Hey, uh, because I was a little scared, nervous about, you know, speaking to adults and all that stuff. I'm a youth pastor. I'm Scott, if you don't know me by now. And so I'm like, I brought my reinforcements. I brought my front row helpers here. So my leaders, students and leaders, thank you guys for being my support. I needed that today. So, you know, we ask people that question. Oh, by the way, we have an activity uh, Wednesday night. Just remind you guys, 638. Shameless little plug. Youth pastors do it all the time. They did it again. Uh, but they now know that we have an activity. 630 to 8 o'clock Wednesday night at Trent's house. But um, besides that, uh, you know, we say, hey, how are you doing? You know, there's that temptation, right? Do you, do you like really want my answer? Or do you want me to tell you what you're supposed to say, what you're supposed to hear, you know, and I'm supposed to say. And, and so I can say, how are you doing? And there's that fine, which never means fine, right? Um, or that's like doing well. Well, good. <laughs> well, you're doing well. Well, uh, about that. Uh, or good. Good's better than fine, but is it really that great? You know, I want to be able to say when you ask me, how are you doing? I like to say, I'm great. I'm great, you know, and that's just like, I'm fine. I'm like, I'm great. No, no, I'm not always great. And so I want to be honest sometimes, obviously, but if I'm great, I want to tell you. But, you know, more than just feel great temporarily like that, I wish that I was, I'd rather be, be great. Like my life really be one that matters, a life that actually has a significant difference making possibility in other lives. I want to be great more than I don't want to feel great or have a temporary status as great. Uh, so, how does one become great? Um, ask Muhammad Ali, right? The greatest, right? Just, he'll tell you. Um, train with Tom Brady, uh, study Michael Jordan or LeBron James and have a discussion on who's the greatest. We're not gonna go there, right? <laughs> that could last a long time. Um, but if you wanna be great in business, you would obviously want to go to those who are successful, those who are already doing well. And a young man who wanted to be great in business set up an interview to meet with a millionaire. And when he talked with him, he said, uh, to whom do you owe your great success as a millionaire? He says, well, that's easy. I owe everything to my wife. And the young man says, wow, she must be amazing. Then tell us, who, what were you before you married her? He says, a billionaire. <laughs> so greatness can look a lot of different ways, right? Uh, and we can get there different ways. That could have been flipped around. It could have been guys, girls, the other way around, but... It wasn't uh, in this story. Um, you see, to be great, I realized things have to change. I believe that I have to want to be great. So to do that, I would have to, uh, I would, there'd be, have to be a lot of learning to happen, right? There'd have to be a lot of attitude to adjust. And there are probably some priorities that would have to change if I chose to be great in whatever it was that I want to be great. It starts with commitment, but it will never get there unless there's consistency, right? So there's a lot we can talk about, principles on greatness and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but by now, you may actually be going, wait a minute, is this the right talk in church? Are we allowed to talk about being great here? It kind of sounds like a lot of pride and selfish, possibly arrogant thought there, you know, and being great. Isn't God supposed to be great and us not, you know? And so, so you know, we can think that. But deep down, I think all of us know that there's something else, though. It's like, okay, then what is it? Because we're obviously not supposed to just exist. The, the scriptures are so clear and challenging to us all the time to be more than just 
alive. So if that's the case, then what if we wanted to be great? And let me do it as we're in church. Okay, we'll do the church question, right? Our church statement. Are you interested in being great in God's eyes? Everybody feel better now? Great in God's eyes so that we don't have to deal with this whole pride thing or, or whatever. But, but what if that changes everything, doesn't it? Kind of look at things differently. We say, well, to be great in God's eyes, that would look a lot differently. Because being great in my own eyes or somebody else's eyes is temporary, right? But being God, great in God's eyes has an eternal, eternal ramification. And it's different that, that we would uh, have a conversation with that because that greatness would look very different perhaps than the greatness around us, right? Being great for God will look different to different people for sure. But what does Jesus think about the pursuit of greatness? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to go to uh, Mark chapter 9 today. If you want to join us there, we're going to be Mark, uh, Mark chapter 9. We're going to find out that Jesus was with his disciples. And we'll be in verse 33, I believe, as we get started. But we, uh, Jesus is with his disciples. They're coming together. And he just told them about his coming death. Jesus, knowing all things, know that that's coming. And he tells them about his coming death and how that he will rise again on the third day. So this is information that, that he continues to pass on to them as his closest friends, confidant. It was, this was his dream team. He invested his life in. If you have your best friends, he's got his best 12 and he's poured into them. And now it's coming to that place where he's letting them know some things that, that it's a little tough to swallow. And so he's on his way. They're on their way from Caperna, from Galilee, to Capernaum. Now, you and I, that kind of sounds like, you know, from town to town, but this would be a 60-mile trek by foot. And also, my, my impression, my, you know, I, I look up to Jesus in everything, right? And by the way, I have to say, too, wherever Jonathan is, man, when I grew up, I want to be just like you on those drones, man. That was so much fun to watch. I just go into town on him. He's just crushing them. And, but Jesus is my ultimate model. I want to be like him. And I watch him, and I'm thinking here, Jesus did 60 miles in about four days? Dude, that's impressive. That's about 15 miles a day. He's like basically doing a half marathon every day. Like that's no big deal, right? That's what they do, you know? It's like incredible. So they have a lot of time to talk. Much is going on there, friend among friend. And as they're talking, let's pick up here in verse 33. It says, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house. I bet they did settle, right? <laughs> a little tired. We believe it might be Peter's house. There's a possibility that's the case. It says, Jesus asked his disciples, Notice, I bet Jesus had things he wanted to tell them, but instead he says he asked them. I love that Jesus does this. Jesus being a rabbi, remember, he, he was trained in the way of helping people to learn by asking questions more than, than just giving information and, and, and telling statements that they need to hear. But he says here, he says, what were you discussing on the road? He knew something was up, right? They were hanging out, they were talking, and then there was that, the the hush, hush, you know, don't let Jesus hear. I want to talk to you. In fact, it says here, it goes on verse 34, it says, but they didn't answer. Another version says, but they kept silent. They're like, busted, right? <laughs> Why does Jesus know everything? It's like, they can't even get away with this. It says, but they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Had a little argument going on. You know, it's kind of, hide, kind of hard to hide that, right? Even if you, you covered the words up, used the facial expressions, the body language, um, probably all of us would have known something was going on, right? But he knew that they were having this argument. And verse 35 says, he sat down and called his 12 disciples over to him. Now, it's interesting when he sat down, that's actually, as a, again, as, a, his rabbi, as the rabbi, he could easily just address them and told them what they did wrong. But he chose to sit down to have a conversation to help them to understand and learn more, which I think is very fascinating because he didn't have to. But he, he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him, and he said, whoever wants to be first 
must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Whoever wants to be first must be last and become the servant. That was not what they were wanting to hear, right? In their discussion, they were talking about who's going to be the best, you know? It's like going out there and you got the basketball hoop out there and we're like, you keep going at it until someone has, you're the winner, right? Until someone hits more threes than the other person. Uh, whoever makes the most money, whoever has the best house on the block or whatever it is that we think is the greatest, uh, he's saying it's just the opposite. So when you think you're in first place, you're probably not that great. To be great, you have to be last. Who wants to sign up for that? Well, they're already in. They've already committed. They've been following him for years, and now he's making this statement, but which wasn't the first time they heard this, right? We know that this was the message he was teaching them all along, but he says here, you be the servant of others. Now, why would he say that? It's important to him for them to understand, because um, Jesus is walking um, with his disciples, and he knows that there's a conversation. All this is going on, and he's going to make sure that they have a chance to understand this. He asks a question. He starts with that, right? Here's the question. What were you arguing about? But then he's going to help them to figure out a little bit more about this greatness. No doubt, Jesus had some clear thoughts on how to be great. If they were talking about greatest, I guarantee he's thinking, ah. And if you're like me and I, we're having a conversation. I, want to, I have a bunch of things running. I'm hearing you talk, but I've got a bunch of things I'm thinking. I'm going to tell you about that. No doubt, Jesus had a lot to say about greatest. And he had thoughts about it. So here, uh, notice he doesn't condemn them for wanting to be great, which I thought was kind of interesting because he could have just said, hey, what are you even talking about being great? Because he, God designed, his father designed us, God Almighty designed us that inside of us, there's a search for significance. There's actually a book called that. It's a Christian book talking about inside of all of us, we want to know our life matters somehow. We were designed that way. It's no accident. And when we want to be great, especially to have this kind of conversation, it's not a surprise to Jesus. But we can see here that Christ is concerned more about their attitudes than their position on the leaderboard, right? They're talking about who's gonna be the greatest. And he's like, I'm really looking for something else. If, that's, you, if you wanna be great, we really need to talk about that because great is probably not what you think it is. So then we see that Jesus uh, emphasizes with them that it was their actions that speak so much louder. So it goes on and says, uh, who should be the greatest? Uh, a dispute had, trig uh, had triggered there. They had this argument. They're going through this. And Jesus, instead of just telling them the truth that they needed to hear, he asked them the question, talks about it a little bit. And then he says, as the master teacher, he goes a little further and says, how about an illustration? And so Jesus, we'll go on here in verse 36. It says, Jesus looks for a way to help them get the point, not just hear the truth, not just talk about the truth, but actually understand it in such a way where it's like, I'll remember that. I'm never, you know, you've been in places like that when there's been, when God has showed you through an illustration of life where you go, I totally get it. We were talking, Kaylee got to go to the beach and we were talking about how big it is and just how powerful it is. When you look out to that ocean, you realize just how finite you are compared to how infinite the ocean is. And you think, and that's just a small picture of how big God is. And you're like, I'll never forget that, right? Those things I have. So Jesus gives them an illustration so that they will never forget when they talk about greatness because it's going to come up again, Right. You know, smack talk happens. We're all trying to strive for something. And what happens here? He, he, he gives them an illustration that they will remember the rest of their life. Since then he put, verse 36, then he put a little child among them and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. Flip the whole story around, right? 
greatness, who's the best, moving all through these different things. And then Jesus says, last place is first place, servant. I'm like, okay. And he's like, kids, wait a minute, kids? <laughs> we weren't talking about kids. We we're talking about being great. We we're talking about the things we have to do to make sure we're, we're the, okay, or if we have to be last to be first, okay, how do we be last? And then he brings out kids. Like, they're like, man, we've been on the road. We've been walking. We were tired. We were sharing life and doing all these things. And then now we're at this place where you're going to bring up kids? It's interesting. Uh, the Greek word literally means child. Like, and so it could have been a very young child. But I think the point that, that Jesus is making here is someone who is humble in a humble state compared to you, where you are my disciples, you have this great privilege. You're walking with me. And then to bring a child into the conversation, no doubt that shock that they felt was like, what's a kid have to do with this? That's the point. The very people that we would overlook otherwise are the people I want you to welcome. Because when you welcome them, you welcome me. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus goes even deeper and greater on this thing. That when, when people are in great need and you reach out to them, you're actually doing it unto him. And so he, he makes this very clear that, that if you wanted to be great, look at those that are in the most humble position. And it would be a, a child and a kid in this situation. So it was what he was trying to say. So anyone means anyone, means you and I can have the same opportunity. Anyone who welcomes, and welcomes is, is a, a tricky word, and it's where we think about how much we bring other people into our life. We have things we want to do, we want to accomplish. So to welcome someone else in is, you gotta, gotta calculate, right? Do I have time for this conversation? Will I do this conversation well if I, if I welcome you into this world? Or is it easier for me just to walk on by? So whoever welcomes a little child, someone of less status than you, um, on his behalf, Obviously, it's one thing just to be nice to kids or, or whatever. That'd be a great statement for sure. But is that really what he's talking about here? Someone who is in a more humble position, that you would bring them up. When you choose to do that, you choose to welcome me. But not only me, but you choose to welcome my father who sent you, sent me. So Jesus is making this point. He gives them an illustration. And no doubt when they see kids in the future. In fact, uh, if you'll read on, you'll notice in, in the Gospels that this happens again. There's other conversations with kids and stuff. And he says, in fact, unless you come in, unless you come like a child, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven. And like, so your status means nothing. In fact, this kid actually stands a better chance of understanding what it means to, to surrender your life to Christ and recognize, Father, God, I am nothing. I'm just a kid and I need you to have heaven. Where sometimes we're like, well, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I do this. I'm a pretty great person. I help. We start to justify in our mind where a kid just goes, I got nothing. I got nothing but you, God, and I'm going to take that. And so he uses these illustrations to help them understand that when they see kids, he will never forget. These guys will never forget this illustration he's making. So one of the ways to be great in the eyes of Christ is to minister to young people. Now you're going, ah, oh, this is a setup. The youth pastor speaking on Sunday morning, he's talking about being great. And to be great, we love young people, right? It's a setup. Yes, it is. But it's in the word of God. So I didn't make it up. It's right here. Um, but you know, I, I, I love talking about this. We don't have enough time to talk. And I will be on, done on time. So never fear. I know you're probably thinking, oh, well, I'll get him started. Um, my poor wife understands what that means. Uh, how many times we thought we were leaving at this time, but I'm still talking about youth ministry. Uh, it's because look at these faces. These guys are awesome. I mean, how can you not love kids, right? <laughs> so good. Um, so loving students, is, loving kids is what Jesus is talking about here. But being great with all that is important. I was at the gym the other day and, um, you know, I don't, people say, do you ever get mad? Of course, I get mad about a lot of things. You just don't see it. I, I'm really good at hiding my anger like a lot of us, like Jesus thought, like these disciples thought they were doing. Um, and it was the other day in the gym. I come in to work out and place was packed. There's kids, there's people working out everywhere and stuff like that. And there were teenagers in there too. Like, wow, there's a lot of teens in here. 
And I get in the locker room. And of course, I'd seen the signs up there saying, uh, for the summer, teenagers, high school students get to work out for free. Now, what you want to know anything about high school students is when you say for free, they are there. There's so much more interest. Like, are you kidding me? No cost? Free? I'm in. So there were teenagers everywhere working out. And of course, they, most of them don't even know how to use the machines, right? And they're using it backwards and they don't forgot to clean it off and all the stuff that, you know, we do when we don't know what's going on. And I get by the locker room and all these men are like, oh, all these kids in here can't even get to my machine. Got to wait so long. This is, and they're grumbling because there are young people in there. What am I doing? I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> look at all these teenagers. You know, it's all a matter of perspective, right? A very different way to look at it. I know some people think ah, I can never really do youth ministry. It's very, very different. It's challenging. I was at a camp last week where I was helping direct. And we had about 250 students, leaders from about 15 different churches in Northeast Pennsylvania. And as I'm there, we're leading and stuff. And one of the roles I got to do was to help lead this college team of 20 college age students who are looking at ministry with their life. Incredibly cool because they're so open and so hungry for how to do ministry. And we just had great conversations and times of prayer. And then one of the jobs, they said, hey, Scott, won't you uh, do this teen leadership class? The kids who are at this camp that want to grow in their teen leadership, they, this will be a chance for them to hear about that and le learn a little more. And so, um, and the guy who was putting together did a great job. And he's like, hey, so here's what I shared yesterday. It was amazing. He blew my mind. He's like, okay, so here's what I shared with them. And he told me some stuff that sounded like he, he came from a Fortune 500 company, all these leadership principles. And he had his, his diagrams and stuff. And I'm like, whoa, it blew my mind. Like, it's really, really good stuff. And I said, these kids are going to, they really loved it. It's really good stuff. So if you could kind of follow on that, I'm like, dude, I can't, I can't help you there. I, I don't know anything about that stuff. I'm a youth pastor. I mean, that's cool. And it's really great, but I'm not going to be in the Fortune 500. That's really great stuff. But I'm going to talk to them a little bit more. And I'm going to start with this phrase, something a little bit more personal. And I go, I'm, can I just share with you guys when I was a teenager, what our, youth, what our pastor said to us? And I can remember sitting in this group, our pastor stood up to, to talk to us and he wasn't a youth pastor. He wasn't trained to do youth ministry, but he was a pastor that loved teenagers. Pastor Carlos Browning is in heaven today, but I miss him and he impacted my life in such incredible ways. And I remember this day when he looked at us and he says, God, talk to you guys. I'm like, oh no, we're in trouble, right? And you hear that from the pastor, you know, God, talk to you guys. And like, so I gotta tell you something. People are gonna tell you that you are, as young people, the church of tomorrow. And I'm like, that sounds kind of good, you know, the church of tomorrow. Got something to work towards, right? And I'm telling these students that at the camp this story. And I said, and then he looked at us. I said, so what do you guys think about that? And so everybody's, they had a good conversation. That yeah, helps us to think about goals and working towards it. Great conversation, church of tomorrow, good stuff. And he says, my, I said, now my youth, then my pastor looked at, looked at us in, in the eye. And he says, now, when they tell you that, you don't believe them. Don't you listen to that stuff because you're not the church of tomorrow. Like, man, okay, territorial much? You know, like, <laughs> not gonna have my church, you know? No, it was just the opposite. You're not the church of tomorrow, but you are the church of today. And it changes everything. And when I told that to the students, man, they exploded with conversation, like, well, you know what? And then they had all these conversations of why they thought they could make a difference with their lives today. Not that one day when, and they understood that their lives can do something incredible. There's some myths about young people that it's good for us to get, kind of get out of the way. Some people think it's, you know, teenagers, young people, children, you know, they're, they're lazy, they're selfish. They think the whole world revolves around them. And you know what? You're right. <laughs> sometimes, not always, <laughs> once in a while. And, but you know, the truth is some of us do too. Adults do too. So that's the truth is that some of us think the world revolves around us too. Uh, I fortunately have a wife that puts up with a lot uh, 
uh, of that. But that's the point, right? We're learning, we're growing. The other, the other one is like, you know what, young people today, they're just too young to, you can't really put them in that. You can't give them that opportunity because they're just, they're just not ready for that. They're just too young. Well, that's true. We don't want a 10-year-old driving a car. I get that. But there are things a 10-year-old can do that we probably don't challenge enough. You know, students will rise to the challenge you give them. And if you don't challenge them, then they won't rise up. And especially in a day like we are today, where there's less and less challenging and more and more like, you know, I give up. I can't fight that phone. You're always on that phone, you know, and we just give up. And it's like, it's say like, hey, let's go for a hike. You think we can hike five miles a day? I don't think so. I don't know. Let's take the challenge. You think you can? You know, we don't challenge sometimes enough. They can do so much more. Another myth. Now, these myths are about working with young people. So you're like, say, okay, I, I get it. I, I, I'm interested. I'm, I'm talk about this, right? Yeah, I don't get young people, kids, children, youth, young adults, but I'm willing to talk about it. But there's some things I have. So sometimes we think that we're working with young people. You just simply say, hey, you know what? Can be honest with you guys. Don't do as I do, but do as I say. Do as I say, but don't do as I do. You know, like, well, that doesn't really work with young people. Uh, the other one is, you know what? I've worked hard all my life. And to this, so I can enjoy some life now. I don't have time to work with. This is my time to enjoy life. Another myth would be, I'm not filling the blank enough. I'm not cool enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not active enough. I'm not free enough. I'm not available enough. We can fill in that blank over and over again. The other one is, you know, I'd work with young people, but um, kids, children, but you know, they don't, they don't need me. Another one is, what difference could I make? You know, why would I spend time investing in kids or young people, youth, young adults, if, in fact, I couldn't really do anything? It's not going to change anything, right? These are certainly myths we need to talk about. So in order to talk about these myths, I figured that was important. But remember, to be great in the eyes of Jesus, we got to solve this problem because it's important because he obviously saw that young people mattered in such a way that to be great in his eyes would involve us taking care of those younger than us. And so well, I did what every good youth pastor should do. I asked some young people. So I surveyed our students last week and they gave me some really good answers. And so today we're gonna, you're gonna hear me talk about survey says, and to prove it, I have surveys right up here that I, I asked them, I asked them their questions and they gave me answers, asked them questions of what, what uh, they felt about some things in life. And based on the information they gave me, you're gonna hear the rest of the message. So our students are gonna be preaching the rest of the message. So thank you very much. Um, are you ready? I sound like, wait a minute, this is getting real. It's going to get really real. When I say survey says, that's when it's a comment from our student. So number one is to believe that youth have intrinsic value. Believe that youth have intrinsic value. First Timothy 4.12 says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Students have incredible value. Psalm 139 says that you are a beautiful masterpiece created in God's image. That, that they are beautiful. In fact, the, it's clear that Jesus died for all people, for young people, just the same as you and I. And so when we believe that they have intrinsic value, we will see them different as opposed to, oh, they are the ones that are driving me crazy. They're the ones that always want some more money. They're the ones that fill in the blank with whatever it is that a young person drives you crazy about. Take that away and you realize that they're valuable to God. Their intrinsic value is beyond uh, what we're able to graph because God loves young people. And Jesus said to be great in his kingdom, you're going to love young people as well too. Whether it's a small child or a young adult, that you're going to care for them. The survey says, we're your future. So one of the kids says, yeah, we're your future. Another one says, we are the future of Mosaic. They got a little more specific, right? When students start saying that, you're like, listen, we're, we're just not here. We're not a class that you need to just 
take care of, we are actually beautiful, needed, and valuable in your sight. Number two, um, number two is, the first number one is believe youth have intrinsic value. Number two, be patient with youth, all right? Be patient with you. Philippians 1, 6 says this, and I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Well, last time I checked, Christ Jesus has not returned. And that means that we're all still growing and to become that person. And so that he is working in us something that will be completion. Now that's you and I too, but young people, especially, we need to be patient because they're in process. They're not a complete, like that student is so rude. At that moment, maybe they are, but that doesn't mean that's the final say so, right? A conversation helping those students to grow can go a long way. Survey says here, we can be mature. Just give us a chance. Love that one, huh? Whoever said that, good job. These were anonymous too, by the way, so I don't even know who said what. But uh, next one is, try to meet us where we are. We're not adults. Well said, right? We're just still kids. And think about it this way. Um, when you're learning in high, and when you're in elementary school, when you're a kid, everything's kind of black and white and you understand things as a little more concrete learning, you know? So you understand this is yes, this is no. These numbers always add up to this number. Uh, but then as you get in your teen years, you start to grow and you start under things understand things in an abstract form where things a little bit more gray make a lot more sense to you than before. And so that's why working with teenagers, sometimes people are like, I'll work with the kids, but I'm not getting where those teenagers are because they're asking questions are much more difficult to answer. There's no A or B. There's a whole lot of other answer possibilities and it might even be different the next day. And so, yes, it's a little bit more of a change. So be patient with young people. Finally, one says, trust us. That's a hard one to do, right? Oh yeah, I'll trust you with this, but I can't give you something important. I saw one day when Steve, I saw one of our students running around with a, a big old expensive camera taking pictures of the church service and going on like, where'd you get that? Steve said I could. <laughs> Steve trusts you, obviously. So Steve was the hero to this student. Then I saw another student a week later, a different student walking around that camera, you know. Um, those students love that. Say, trust us. All right, go on. Number three, take time to be present. Take time to be present. Survey says most, think, uh, most, of them, uh, most students uh, in our group said that they think that you as adults are really nice, that you're fun, you're funny, and you're helpful. So they don't, they're not afraid of you. They don't think you're like the, the next you know, thing, that's a, a different world that you wouldn't connect with them. They think you're pretty cool. So sometimes back to those myths about being, I could never be you know, anything in a student's life. They actually really like adults. They like you guys. They want you in your life. And so when you take time to be present with them, uh, they appreciate it so much. Another one said, hey, would you tell us your story? They probably think that you've always been a Christ follower or, or if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't yet today, um, man, this would be a great day to, to choose Christ. But they probably think that you've always had it figured out. Like, oh, can I tell you a story? And they would like to hear that. In fact, I, one, one of the questions was, What's your favorite part about Mosaic Church? And so you would think, I was waiting for it. It's like, oh, when you did that Browns night, oh, when you did this giveaway, and when you did this, and when you had the outreach, and all these tangible things, you know, I think, oh, they're going to love this. You know what their answers were? So much more mature than mine. Others uh, were like names, names of adults who spoke into their world, names of people. In fact, one says, I love Melinda because she takes time with me and goes gets coffee with me. Well, I go, I love Melinda too, <laughs> but, but this is really cool that they, they can love her in a different way. How cool is that? And then they would go on and talk about other students, other leaders and people, but they gave names. So take time to be present. They'll remember because most people aren't present. 
in the lives of a young person. Number four, recognize your influence. Recognize your influence. Titus 1, uh, 4 and 5 says this. Those older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children, to live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes, to do good. So there's that idea that it's talking about older men helping the younger men and and that there's this passing on of the faith, passing on of maturity, passing on of of the mantle, of the passing the baton, uh, of the rite of passage, of encouraging the next generation to be this generation of today's church. And so recognize you do have an influence in there. Some of our survey uh, students said this, uh, most of you are really nice, adults. <laughs> most, like, I want to know, most of you, like, most of you are, are, are nice. Um, me and some, most of us are, so that's good. Uh, another one said, remind, uh, you guys can remind me to do stuff to grow in God. Do stuff. Love that phrase. Here's some stuff you can do to grow in God. Another one said, um, adults are awesome, and they know so much about Christ. So they look to you as the, the, the leaders, the ones who get it. And what they're trying to do, they see you doing it. Another one says, would you just teach us about Jesus? Teach us about Jesus. And so I love that part. Number five, know their questions. Now, see, it's funny because we want to help students. We want to help them. We want to think about where they're at and what's going on in their world and stuff. And then we think in our mind what they need. Like I get it all the time. Like, oh, so you're a youth pastor, right? So here's what you need to tell them, young people. And we got a whole list of things. And people, if I kept that list, it'd be so long. Everybody's got something. They got, yeah, I should go tell those, those young people. I don't, uh, first of all, when you do that, it goes in one ear and out the other because that, that's not how we do ministry. Um, we find out that loving and caring for students goes far, much farther when we want to talk about issues. But, but doing that, it, it doesn't really go very far. And uh, so the students, want, they have questions. And, and chances are they're not the questions that you and I think that they should have. We're like, you should be thinking about your, your IRA right now. Like, what's an IRA? I don't know what that is. And, and uh, they don't really care about those things, but they do have questions. And so what are those questions? Well, I brought a book. And it says three big questions that, every, that change every teenager. So there you go. You're welcome. Um, and the, you, I bet you want to know what those questions are, right? The first one is, who am I? Students want to know, who am I? Now, not what my name is, and, but who am I in God's eyes and what he's doing in my life? So that's the first question. And who did he design me to be? Second one, where do I fit in? Because obviously there's connect points in life. We are social beings. And where do I fit in this thing that God created for me called life? And number three, what difference can I make? You know, see the back to that greatness thing. There's, we all know, even as a young person, like I'm not here just to get by. Something I'm supposed to rock. I don't know what that is, but I'm trying to figure that out. And so students have questions. Number six, ask them questions. Ask young people questions. Man, you want to make a kid's day, you stop and ask them a question. Instead of just tell them what they need to stop and talk to them and hear them out a little bit. Uh, Jesus often asks questions. Um, Think about this. Answers lead us to information, right? Uh, If I get an answer, good. I got that information. Go on the internet, click, click, click. Got information, go. We're, We're done, right? But questions lead us to discovery. Discovery leads us to convictions. And then convictions leads us to life transformation. People say, why are those kids growing? What, what's not, why don't those kids get, figure out how to live for God yet? Because they're in process. Things are going. It takes a long time. That's a process there. But when we don't ask them questions, they're not discovering. So nor are they getting uh, con- convictions that lead to transformation. We're just telling them what to believe. It just doesn't go anywhere. Students need the time to be able to ask, to be able to answer some questions. And even as you ask them questions, especially if they're not yes or no questions, you know what happens, right? As you're talking and sharing, as they're sharing answers, they're learning a lot about themselves. Like, why did I answer it this way? 
And so students are growing all the time. Survey says, um, students said, we are important and our voice needs to be heard. Felt a little bit of sass in that. I don't know how do you get sass out of print, but felt like that came through in there a little bit. Number seven, listen. James 1.19 says, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, hear, listen, right? Uh, my dad says, you have two of these and one of these. That's why you're supposed to do this twice as much as you do. I'm going to put my note, point in my nose, my mouth. <laughs> I have two of these and one of these, <laughs> and I should do this twice as much as I do that. Um, I must have to blow my nose. I'm sorry. Uh, so we are supposed to listen. And young people have things to say. Most of us just aren't listening. Um, survey says here, most of us have a lot to say, but don't feel like adults really want to hear us. I don't know where they get that impression, but we can change that, right? We can make that different. Number eight, preach to them. Not. <laughs> if you want to turn off a young person, if you want to get them to do something, just preach to them and tell them what they have to do, and they're going to do just the opposite. So unless you're doing reverse psychology, don't do that. It just You think, well, that's, they need to learn. They need to submit. Da, 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 da. You can go out route if you want to, but man, that's not how students learn. They want to be talked to like they're actually growing beings and understand things. Philippians 3.17 is a much better model from Paul. He says this, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. It's important that we realize that our lives and what we do speaks so much louder. In fact, I say it this way, what you do speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you say. What you do speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you say. Your actions impact me far more. I, I, I know students who've been in our ministry so long that now they're having kids too. Uh, that's been a long time. And, and so fun when it gets here, we talk and share life and stuff. And then they'll go, you know what I remember about you? I'm getting ready to hear this, this golden nugget from a sermon that I preached. You know, and they go, I remember when you, you loved your wife. I remember when you, and they fill in the blank about the actions. Like, what about my messages? Those life-changing messages I worked so hard on, you know? They're watching. So, Survey says, come over our house and talk about God. We just want to talk. Another one says, help us with our questions. So they just want to have a conversation. Hear about that. Number nine, finally, and here's where it came. You would expect this. It was going to happen sooner or later. But as, the, uh, as we start to get closer to worship time now, nine is finally help us here at Mosaic. Help us at Mosaic. Uh, the youth and children's ministry team is incredible here. We're doing a lot of great things. It almost sounds like a plug. You almost expect it to happen, right? He's going to want helpers, right? Well, I'm really not asking for that. That's really, I'm making that ask for you. Because if God's working in your heart to, to invest in young people through our children's ministry, our club 56, fifth and sixth graders, our youth ministry, our young adults, then that's between you and God. But I want to give you the invite so that you too can be like it, the song we sang earlier, that we would lay all those trophies at his feet. And how important those trophies can be when we understand that those are trophies are lies. Let's, let's just look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. It says this, After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? Just like that song was saying. What is that, what is that crown? What is that reward? What is that trophy? He puts three little words. It is you those that they invested their lives into. Yes, verse 20. Yes, you are our pride and our joy. When you come before Jesus, you'll have all that you had and what you don't have. Obviously, we leave this world without anything. We don't bring anything with us. But the lives we invested in and the people that you impact, the people that you, you encourage, and I guarantee you there are children that look up to you that you don't even realize that will be your pride and joy, your crown when you stand before God because they'll be able to say, 
You know how I know Jesus? I came to Jesus because of grandpa, because of this friend, this guy at this church. The guy let me use the camera. That's pretty cool. You can have prizes, these trophies to bring before God. But then you realize that you're doing youth ministry or children's ministry or young adult ministry, and you're investing in these young lives and you realize they're not trophies at all. I love them. If you're a youth leader, a children's worker, anybody that's invested in our kids here at Mosaic Church, we want to say thank you. In fact, would you just stand for a second? Could we say thank you to you? So if you've invested in our kids and those levels, we just want to say thank you so much. We love you guys. It matters so much. You may be seated. Our kids are different because of you and they look up to you and we need you. And if you feel God calling you to be part of something like that, obviously you can talk to any of us. But again, that's more if God's calling you, that's your calling and your chance to follow through with that. As I wrap up here, a couple of the thoughts. The growing young factor. There's another book I have here. You know, a lot of churches are growing today. We're quite aware of many churches that aren't. But did you know there's a lot of churches that are? And when they surveyed them, Fuller Fuller Youth Institute surveyed them, they said, hey, by the way, I got this book. It was misleading. Growing young. I thought, oh, great. And it wasn't about what I thought it was about. It was actually about ministry. And so I thought it was about, about, you know, getting younger and looking younger and feeling younger, but it didn't do that at all. Um, Good book, though. Uh, As I'm reading it, what they're talking about is the fact that they surveyed all these churches that are doing well, big churches, small churches, churches from different sides of town, churches from different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. I have so much trouble with that word. All these different places, different ethnic backgrounds. And the ones that were growing all had one thing in common. They were growing young. That they didn't see young people as something to endure or to, to, to make happen or take care of. They saw them as their valuable assets that they are that they allowed them to be part of church, that they were growing young because they got to be involved. So great book there. So that's the other factor. So get plugged in, grow young. And then finally, this will help us a lot. If we can solve this problem, they're in children's ministry and youth ministry, a problem that's been around forever. And it's the ratio problem. Probably didn't know about that, right? We have a ratio problem. The problem is like you say, okay, if you're gonna do this event, you're gonna do this class, how many adults do you need to have per student? Uh, how many students can per student per adult can be at that event to make sure it can go off? And we always say at least one to ten, right? Per uh, per student, per student, ten students per adult. And it's, it would be better if we could do one to seven, one to eight. And if we're in a small group setting, it'd be really great if we go one to five, because that way there's some personal attention. But you know, it's not as many adults that want to do that. So it gets you stretch that, and you're always that's the problem we're wrestling with all the time. Can we get enough help to make this happen? Cancel the event? We don't have enough help. What if we flip that whole ratio problem and threw it out the window? It said, according to this book, we said, what if we, uh, which is called Sticky Faith, how to help your kids have your faith and grow through high school and keep it. They said, what if we flipped it and said, how about we have five adults for every student? You're going, oh, that's impossible. We have 50 young people. We can't, it's 250 adults. Like, yeah, that'd be great. Come on, let's do it. But I know that's not going to happen. So that's all right. But each student could have five adults in their life that care about them. One could be their youth pastor. Another, another one could be another youth leader and another youth leader. three right away, right? What if there's like other people that hold the camera and say, here, I trust you. Or what if it's a security guard that takes time to say, how are you doing today, young lady? Tell me about your world. And that's all of a sudden, this young person has got five, six, seven adults in their life. And the book says that if they have five or more, they most likely will keep their faith through high school. So in other words, if we want our students to keep their faith through high school, we need all of you. We can't do it with seven adult youth leaders. 
can't. But if every student had five adults in their life, they could be different. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we wrap up today. You've been amazing. Just share with you a story as our worship team comes. It was a few years ago. I had come to Christ by going to church on a bus, bus ministry. And I was not the kid you wanted to hang out with your, your son and daughter. I didn't have a Christian home and I did life differently, let's just say, all right? You didn't want your kids hanging out with me. But this church didn't see it that way. And they brought me back every week and welcomed me back, gave me free food, like free. That's awesome. I love this place. But the longer I was there, I, I couldn't hide anymore. And a young, this really good looking couple comes over to me and probably about in their upper 30s and said, hey, is your name Scott Price? Like, yeah, it is. Say, hey, I'm Ray. This is Darlene. It's my wife. And we have youth group tonight. We'd love for you to come be part of that. And I'm like, oh, I'm out. I'm, listen, you're lucky you got me here on Sunday. I'm not coming back tonight for more. Uh, what are you eating? What are you eating? What are you serving, right? <laughs> um, so my excuse was, I, I, don't, I can't. I, I don't have a ride. I'm not going to come. And they're like, well, that's no problem because uh, we've got a van. We're driving around. We're picking up kids and we'll pick you up. Like, uh, no, no, I'm out of the way. I'm not interested. So listen, it's no problem. You're right on the way. I said, I'm right on the way. Yes, you're right on the way. I'm like, I guess it's really not a problem then. And I'll give it a try. So I went and needless to say, long story, it started changing my life. I went back the next week, next week, and I started realizing that God loved me more than just getting me to heaven. And I could grow in his faith in him. And I was, things were changing. And it was all happening because these adults started caring about me. And I started going. And then, then a couple years later, I would get my own license, my own car. And they had a party for the church at their house on a Friday night. And I remember getting in my car. And I was so proud because I'm going to drive my car to the party, the church party. And I get in my car and I'm driving down the road. And as I'm driving, following the directions, and I go right past the church. And then about five miles later, I see the, their house. I'm like, wait a minute. Right on the way? Are you kidding me? You literally drove past the church to go pick me up and then came back to the church. So I told him, I said, Ray, Darlene, I'm having fun at this party, but I got to tell you, y'all is liars. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You lied to me. You said I was right on the way. And they just laughed. They said, Scotty, we had to get you to church. We needed to get you here. And they cared enough to go out of their way. And if we as a church see young people as our most prized possession to be able to bring up in the, in the ways of Christ, then we are not only going to be strong and healthy today, but we're going to be a church that's going to impact generation after generation after generation. I consider you today to consider what Jesus said in this passage where he said, everyone, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge in it that you see greatness as humbling ourselves, to deny ourselves, to, to, to put others before us, especially those that are less than us, those that are in more need of us. And in our world, those are children and young people and young adults. And Father, I just pray that today you would challenge us and help us to see what role we can play. No doubt some of us are thinking of names of students right here in our church, or right in our lives, in our family, in our neighborhood, that we can just be Jesus too. Help us, Lord, to be great, but be great in your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.